Good to see everybody this morning. Yeah, we're ready. You know, it was funny. A friend of mine, I, I eat lunch with him usually on Tuesdays. Uh, he's a great brother in Christ. We like to share things together. And uh, he shared a parable that he had just read and was like, man, that's a wild parable. And I thought, I remember it. But I don't think I have ever heard a lesson on it. In 37, 38 years of going to church, I don't think I've ever heard a lesson on it. So I went and read it, and I said, no, I haven't. Not that I can remember. So it was a challenge to do that today. So if you would, open your Bibles to Luke 16. I'd, I'd enjoy your comments afterwards to see if you've ever heard this before. Uh, because it is an interesting parable. It's strange. The Lord gave us about 40 parables when he walked this earth. I'm sure he gave a lot more, but the Holy Spirit saw fit to put in the word of God that lives and abides forever, these 40. And out of it, this one in particular is probably one of them that you just look at and go, Really? What is that about? How am I going to be able to provide a spiritual message out of something like this? But we're going to try to do that. We're going to go through about the first 15 verses of Luke chapter 16, if you would. It's called the parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you're not going to be the manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do when I lose my job here so that people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Nine hundred gallons of olive oil, he said. Ooh, the manager said to him, Take your bill here, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he said to the second one, how much do you owe the master? And he says, a thousand bushels of wheat. He said, take the bill and write 800. This is the verse that will blow you away. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the people of this world. Now listen to what Jesus says. For the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Really? And Jesus says in verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have been trustworthy 
in handling worldly wealth, who will then trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard this, and they were sneering at him. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Wow. What people value is detestable to God. Are we not finding out that God thinks different than we do? Almost every one of these things in the Jesus story, we've been seeing that what I think is good and proper, he's just like, no, it's the other side of the coin. Hmm. The word there for detestable is used in the Old Testament quite a bit as the word abomination to God. That's the word that it's used there for. And that means to reek with a stench that turns your stomach. And that's what he just told the Pharisees in this parable. And it's a strange parable. I mean, really, as you look at it, he wanted to fire the man for just mismanagement. He didn't manage the business properly, and he's ready to fire him. But when the guy embezzles a great deal of money in securing his future, he commends him for it. And a lot of people try to explain this away because they don't want in their minds to be able to think that Jesus presented a parable like this. They don't want to explain it that way. But you know what? We've been finding out that parables were given so that unbelievers don't understand, but believers can have ears to hear with and to be able to understand the spiritual meaning. So let's, let's dig into this. Let's put our spiritual ears on so that we can see what Jesus is saying. Let's go back up there to verse 1. He told the disciples, and he begins telling them about this rich man that has a manager. The guy is a steward of his business. And he said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. You can no longer be the manager. You see, somebody has reported to this rich man what's going on. The word for what is this I hear is diabolo. Does it sound familiar? Diabolical. It's kind of something with an evil intent. What is this diabolical thing, this scheme that I've been hearing about you? You know what the noun of this is? Diabolos, where the devil comes from. Because the devil is a slanderer, always trying to slander things. And that's the word here. It's very critical. It has evil insinuations. This was a very rich man. How do you know? He's disconnected. He's so wealthy. He's completely disconnected from his land, from his business, from everything that's going on. He has hired somebody to take it over, and he's off out into the world somewhere just enjoying his wealth, and it keeps piling up. 
He's not even there to know what's going on. When he gets a report from somebody, he has to send word back, what's this I'm hearing? That's how disconnected he is. By the time it was over, the people here that was listening to Jesus tell it would know that this was a very rich man that we're looking at. says that he asked his manager, what's this I hear? The word there means the law of the house. This is the guy who had his proxy. He did everything for him. He would have been well-respected in the community. He has a high place. They would have all known that if they have a business dealing to do, they go to him. He has the stamp for the owner. And he had been entrusted with everything that he had. And, it, and he basically tells him, you're fired. You're fired. You're gone. I've been hearing all of this. I think it's true. But you know, if you're going to fire somebody for what they've done, fire them. Don't give them like, I'm firing you, but you got two weeks notice. Because if they did enough when there was accountability, when you knew that the roof over your head, the money that was going to go each week or each month into your bank account relies upon the job that you're doing and you're accountable for it, if you do something wrong then, what do you think the guy's going to do when there's no accountability? You've already fired him. So don't allow him to then have his hand in the pot any longer. So this is a very bad business practice by this guy. He says, I'm going to give you two weeks to put in an account of what I have. Tell me what I've got. You, you're the one that's been running this. Oh, boy. The guy is like, woe is me. Now he's got nothing to lose. There's no accountability. So in verse 3, the manager realizes that his gig is up. And he says to himself, What shall I do since the master is taking away the job from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. See, he's been a white-collar guy all of his life. Those of you who are blue-collar guys know about that. I, I'm too weak to dig. I'm not going to get my hands dirty. I've never had a callus in my life. And then he says, and I'm ashamed to beg, so what am I going to do? And then it says in the next verse, I know what I will do. You know what that is? It's like a eureka moment is what it says. The light bulb kicked on and he's got this bright idea of what I'm going to do. And he come up with it. He said, I am going to do this. Verse 4, here is what I will do so that, now, now see why he's doing it. See why he's going to put this scheme together. So that when I am removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. You see, his living situation had relied upon the job. Now he's not going to have a home. So now he has to plan on what he's going to do for that roof over his head. He's planning for the security of his future. So now his plan, verse 5. He called in each one of the master's debtors. And this is a process then that he goes through is the wording here. We're going to be given two examples of how he went through this process. But there's many more. Every debtor would go through this process. And he's going to make some friends. So he calls them in. And he says, verse 6, How much do you owe my master? And the man said, 900 gallons of olive oil. This is a massive amount of debt. A massive amount. It would take over 100 acres 
of olive trees to produce this. And he says, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Take your bill, sit down quickly, scratch out the 900 and put 450. The guy didn't ask no questions. He's like, ooh, I'm getting cut a break. I'm not going to ask how he's doing it. I'm just going to sign. He calls in the second guy. How much do you owe? Thousand bushels of wheat. Let's cross that out and put 800. You, you put it there and I'll sign for it. They did it without asking any questions. That is like two years worth of wages of one person that he cut off of each one of those guys. Without question, they went ahead and signed it. Do it quickly. You know, con men are always in a hurry, aren't they? I can remember one time going on just right down here by French Lick, and I, we spent the night in a big splash adventure, let the kids splash around in all of that area. We sat in a two-hour little thing that would give you free tickets to go see the elephants because one of the farms there housed circus elephants for when they weren't out. So we sat through that, but boy, they wanted you to, to sign on the dotted line for timeshares. You've only got 15, 20 minutes. We've got to go, and you've got to sign right now. Boy, they tried to tempt you, and that's what he did. Sign quickly. Let's do this and, and get you going. They all do it. Why did he do that? Why was this such a brainstorm and such a scheme? Because the Jewish people had an honor system. They had an honor code. If you do a big favor for me, I owe you a big favor back. That's the way they were. So if you called them on it, they would remember. And their honor code said that we had to do that. So he is preparing for his future, his physical future. He is saying, I'm giving you two years worth of labor. I'm going to expect that in return. So now he's setting all of these people up so that his future is going to be secure. That's what's given here. Now look at verse 8. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly. And then he gives a comparison between the people of the world and those of the body of Christ. He says, the sons of this age are more shrewd in their relations to each other than the sons of light. He's commending him for what he did. Are you kidding me? Mismanagement. Half of your income gone, and he commends him. No, that's just not right. But then Jesus shakes things up. Look again. He praised him. He acted shrewdly. For the point of the parable is this. If he is praised in securing his future home, but it's a physical future home that's going to pass away, the spiritual application is how are you preparing for your spiritual future home that's why this man acted shrewdly because the children of this world are shrewd about their future what about the children of light how are you preparing for your future that you're going to have then he says in verse 9 and jesus says this to us because he's addressing his disciples here that's what it said in verse 1 and he says i say to you to us even today use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Use what you have so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings, it says. Wow. 
So there is a way that we can be shrewd with what we have now that secures eternal dwellings when this life is over. And we're going to make friends with that so that they will welcome us into their dwellings. We are instructed by television commercials and financial things, and when you're at work and your parents and in school, they try to tell you, try to find a place with a 401k, try to invest your money, save for your future, so that when you reach retirement age, you will have everything taken care of, and you can buy the car of your dreams just in time for them to say that you're too old to drive and you can't have it anyway. That's what the world teaches us to do. But Jesus says, take what the world's saying and let's apply it spiritually then. Heaven is eternal. It's everlasting. If by reason of strength we have 70, 80 years here, why don't you prepare for something that's everlasting? Why don't you get friends who is going to welcome you? This man wanted a house to dwell in when his job was over. Jesus says, why don't you prepare for eternal dwellings after this world with friends that will invite you in? He had a great Ponzi scheme going on to do all of that, to put a roof over his head. Jesus says, you, the children of light, take an example out of this. Invest in friends who is going to invite you into that. And you know what this is telling me too? If you look at that very carefully there in verse 9. Inviting you into an eternal dwellings. We're going to do life together in heaven, just like we're doing life together here, aren't we? It says you're going to gather friends that will invite you into eternal dwellings. We're going to be doing life together. Matthew 6, 19, we're instructed, don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon this earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that's what he's saying for where your treasure is there your heart will be also we've been told that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil but jesus says you can be shrewd about it you can be shrewd try to buy friends for eternal dwellings in heaven you know what just preceded this story? Luke 15, the prodigal son. There was someone who wasted the living here. This was a man here that follows it in Luke 16 that wasted his master's living. The man in Luke 15, the prodigal son, he had friends as long as he had money, didn't he? You remember what happened when the money ran out? Where was his dwelling place? Pig pen. He was in a pig pen. He wanted, it says that in his heart, he would like to outroot the pigs for what they were eating. He was that hungry. He wanted to outroot them for what they had in the slop bucket. That's what happens when this life's money runs out. Your friends go. There's no place to be. Jesus says, think about your eternal space. Where, how do you do that? Whenever you give of this life's means to teach the gospel to others and to spread the good word, you are then securing friends who are able to then hear that gospel message and be converted into Christ 
then you are converting friends who will meet you in heaven to do life together there with you. Lots of folks say, and I know we have visitors today, this isn't a lesson on giving. Don't think, oh, I came there in the first thing. No, this is a lesson on rewards. This is a lesson on joy. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm just showing you what Jesus is talking about in this parable for rejoicing and for joy whenever we get into heaven. But whenever you do give to the church and you think, why is that important? Well, first, it's because we're commanded to. You know, in 1 Corinthians 16, it says, upon the first day of the week, which is Sunday, lay by and store what God has prospered you. Why do I need to do that then? Well, just like we were talking about with uh, Rick up here this morning, by keeping the lights on and the building open, you've got about 125 kids every Wednesday that learn about God. That one day is going to be friends of yours in heaven. And they're going to be saying, thank you for thinking of us and taking care of us. We've got 35 to 50 kids that are teenagers on Thursday that come here and get fed. Think about that. How many places do you know takes care of 35 to 50 teenagers every week and helps them out with their problems, takes care of them and feeds them? Not too many. But what we do give allows that to happen, and you're a part of that so that you are creating friends in heaven. Whenever you go to Kairos, that's God's time in prison. I was fortunate enough to do two of those events a year and a half ago. They asked me to speak for a year. I spoke in prison every Sunday night. Had over 100 men during that year that was in there. We hit 75 in one night, but it's a short-term offender program, so they're not there that long. There was probably between 100 and 200 men who showed up and we personally prayed out because each week somebody would say, I'm leaving Monday morning. We personally prayed out more than 60 men in a year to come back out into society. But the big thing was those men learned Christ while they were there because of something like Kairos that's supported by people here praying for them, making cookies for them, helping out for them and visiting them. That was 60 men prayed out that's going to welcome you into eternal dwellings on the other side. Since I've been here, there's been five baptisms. A lot of that is through our mall and through our teenage things. That's five new friends from right here that's going to welcome you in eternal dwellings and say, let's do life together here. That's why it's important. Jesus said, In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go there to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you might be also. Every soul that believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior gets a mansion. We're going to be able to share that with each other. All of that centers around this jewel of Perrigan that we call New Life Christian Church. It's all centered around here. This is where your outreach goes. 
Do you know you're going to have friends from India? Part of, part of what we give back to God is in missions. And it goes to India. And we have saw them come over here with the slides of the kids and, and the little children that they're taking care of. Thousands of them each year in their vacation Bible school. You'd be surprised how many children from India is going to welcome you in because they're going to say, thank you for supporting us and allowing us to hear the gospel message way over here where Islam and Buddhism and everything and Christianity makes up about 0.9%. But you guys helped us. That's why you do what you do. Verse 9, I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it, this is all gone, it's going to be gone. You will have friends that will be welcoming you into their eternal dwellings. As we grow and expand, we get to grow that mission. Preaching schools, Gideons that place Bibles in hands of people all around the world. There's ways that we preach the gospel to every creature. You want to challenge us with Malachi 3, verse 10, it says, Bring all your tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. Prove me, God says. See if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out unto you blessings that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's a challenge. He says, try it. You try me. See if you can outdo me. Then Jesus said again in our text, in Luke 16, verses 10 through 13, if you're still there following along. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, then who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property... Who will give you property of your own? Because no one can serve two masters. Jesus said, can I trust you? Can I trust you to use what I have given you as stewards? Because you see, we don't own what we have. We think we do, but we don't. We're just stewards. This is a test. Just like the weather station will beep in and you hear that sound. And it says, this is only a test. But if it were an actual emergency, this life is a test. And he's basically just saying, can I trust you? I am seeing who you are with all this. And you might think, and I used to think this, so I know. If I had more, I'd give more. That was, that was one of my mantras. But you know what I found out in doing this? Boy, I got convicted. Because it says, no, if you're trustworthy and very little. The word there is minuscule. It, it's like the smallest particle that can exist. And if you can be trusted with that, like the woman with two mites that gave everything, then I can trust you with more. And why does he say that? Because it's a character issue. It's an integrity issue. And it's with whatever integrity and character you have is what you portray, whether it's in very little or very much. And it convicted me very hardly. So he says... There's a lot of riches and a lot of rulership. We might study that one day because he tells us we're going to be over angels and we're going to be over all kinds of things. So there's rulership and riches that's going to come with this life. 
<coughs> in eternity. But he says, only who is given much will receive much. Those who I can't trust, probably not. No one can serve two masters. You've got to be totally owned by someone. We are stewards here. Strong words were used there. The language is strong. Hate, love, slave, servant. The things we have are a gift from God to be employed to demonstrate our character. <clears throat> Look at verse 14. The Pharisees, they always seem to come into the picture. The Pharisees come along and it says that when they heard all of this, they, they were lovers of money, so they sneered at him. That word for sneer, that means to raise your head up and blow out your nose. Now, don't try it right now because there might be some things come out we don't want. But that's what it means. You, you've heard our phrase, oh, I just blew them off. Right there is where it comes from. This is where we get that phrase. The word there is to blow somebody off. And that's what the Pharisees did. They just blew Jesus off with this. But Jesus told them, go ahead. Because people look on the outside of things, but God looks at your heart. And what is highly valued by this world is detestable to God. Right here is where the worship team would come on back up, but I guess I'll, I'll jump up here. <clears throat> think, about, think about the words that Jesus spoke. Detestable, rancid, character, integrity, trust. Think about all of that. I don't know what you're reaction to this parable will be again i i gave it in a way because i've never heard this this parable taught and when i found out that what i do by joyfully giving back is going to get me friends for eternity in heaven that's going to welcome me there and that's what God has entrusted us with. I had to change, make a new commitment. I hope you do too. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Wow, when you really allowed me to dig into it and you allowed the spirit to reveal these things, how shocked I was at what it revealed. First look was... How can you find a spiritual message from somebody who mismanaged and then embezzled money and he was commended? But it was how you, you used to teach that things of the world are different from the spiritual life, but the same kind of application goes that I need to secure my home for eternity and quit worrying about what I have here on earth. Because we need friends in heaven. And Father, may we as the body here at New Life continue to be blessed by you, to keep our doors open, to keep ministering to as many folks as we can so that one day when we cross over to that other side, there will be hundreds and hundreds of people there who are thankful because of what you blessed through the ministry of this place. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, remember, out sing me.
All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all, all to Jesus I surrender, Lord. I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power. Let Thy blessings fall on me. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Jesus, I said, Savior, I surrender all. Be seated. <clears throat> now we will, hey, just, just for the elders. How about we get Rick A. and the band to record several services so that we can play them with the words up there? <laughs> and I'll, I'll do Vanilla Ice. I'll lip sync, okay? That might be a good idea for us to do. 